This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Well, Lee, COVID-19 really has exposed some technology shortfalls, don't you think? I mean, we've run into some of our own challenges here at SalesFuel. Yeah, we had a we had a fantastic webinar where we had over two thousand registrants, and we ran up against the limit of of a thousand uh, attendees fifteen minutes before the webinar. But then we were plagued with all kinds of audio cutouts and uh, all kinds of issues there. And you know that's just one example of some of the things that uh, that people have been experiencing the past few weeks. That's right. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at Sales Fuel, and I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. And that is why we got Sam Schutte up early in the morning because we are on Zoom recording this early before sort of the platform gets maxed out and we get a bunch of audio dropouts. Hi, Sam. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) Thanks for getting up with us. So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah, Very good, sir. Uh, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software, the company's software development services as a development partner. And uh, also, he's the host of his own excellent podcast. I took a listen in the wee hours in the morning, unstoppabletalk.com, which covers the intersection of business and technology innovation. And today, we're going to talk with Sam about the COVID-19 crisis, exposed technology shortfalls, suggestions and solutions he has, and he's got this great thing we want to talk about and let you all know about called a virtual tip jar, which can be used to help your favorite service provider who is prevented from working because they're considered non-essential. So Sam, a couple of great things to talk about. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So let's talk. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Now I was going to just what, what are some of the uh, technology shortfalls that, that that you've encountered, your clients have encountered over, over the past few weeks? Yeah, so I've been I've been talking to really all my clients in the last couple of weeks as they've been sort of struggling and 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 dealing with all this, of course. And and obviously, you know, there's some pretty basic ones, you know, such as not really having enough VPN accounts or mm. VPN bandwidth. You know, most of the time when you set up a VPN at a company. You know, you, you don't have, you know, enough for all 300 people to be on at one time, usually, right? VPN is uh, virtual private network. Correct. Yeah. And so if, if folks are working from home and they want to access their files on their or, or you know, their machine, they need to they need to dial in. Basically, you can call it dialing in. Right. We still refer to it that way uh, <laughs> over the VPN. And, and, and that's a real hassle. Um, yeah, I've had other customers who. For instance, if they deal with a lot of folders and files, and particularly like large files, engineering drawings, you know, that are that are you know five six hundred megabyte files or, or multi gigabyte files, you know, now even just downloading those, you know, the time spent back and forth can be a problem. But I think uh, you know some of the folks that are struggling the most really though are companies that uh, you know are manufacturers. A lot of our customers are manufacturers. Um, doing any all kinds of you know made to order products and and uh, working on the shop floor with our software solutions, and <clears throat> when they have to have some of their workers at home, and then figure out well how do those people at home still manage, oversee and work with people that are on the shop floor you know because um, they can't 
manufacture, say, adhesives or something uh, if they're not on the shop floor. Uh, and of course, those companies have had to institute all kinds of social distancing, which becomes a problem, really affects their output. So it's interesting because because there's been a lot of you know push in recent years to have those kind of virtual remote assistance type solutions, right? Like you said, turn your phone around, phone around, and and show me a video of it. Or you know, there's been a lot of people using like Hololens and these Microsoft solutions to sort of provide virtual maintenance and virtual inspections. And so, you know, those guys that make those products and solutions are saying, "See, I told you so." <laughs> you know, in in this era, so. Do you think that this is something, the, a lesson to be learned, people that got caught f- flat-footed? Is that the right term? Um, you say, really, you need to invest for the longer term, and we may not be out of this virus situation for now. They're saying if there's no vaccine, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so investing in larger VPNs and other pieces of equipment that are vital, uh, you should probably, even if you don't have the money to spend, think about spending it? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that we can really f- blame anybody, you know, in the business world for being caught flat footed. Cause I don't think anybody expected that, you know, all 350 of their employees overnight would need to work remotely. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it will be interesting. I think, I, I think what they're going to have to invest in, you know, faster internet connections, you know, uh, I mean, even just something simple, like do all your employees have a have a cell phone to use that's that they're not running up their uh, burning up their personal data, you know? Um, and so it'll be interesting on the other side of this, once that investment has been made, uh, how much of it sticks around, you know? Um, I have one customer that they have been for the last two years, very actively on this uh, relocation campaign to take, you know, their 10 or 12 corporate offices they have across the U S and merge them all into one location. And then this happened and there are those who are saying, well, now we're all working remotely. Why do we, you know, this seems to work. Okay. Why do we need to move? Right. Um, and what are the cost savings of, of not actually making those people move? Right. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that pans out, but it, it has introduced a new wrinkle that, uh, you know, at least from a sort of like efficiency and, and sort of the popularity of remote work, even after we have a vaccine and stuff, I think will will have some impacts and long lasting change. Let's say that uh, you want to install some cameras on the shop floor or something like that so to be able to keep an eye on things remotely. Uh, how do you deal with some of the employees then who might be a little, for lack of a better word, paranoid or whatever, say, so, oh, it's so-and-so, that they've got this camera and they're listening into our conversations and everything like that. How do you, how do you go about reassuring them about you know, when that camera is going to be used, when it's not going to be used, and what it's going to be used for? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I've had customers, you know, talk about that and bring that up before, particularly because a lot of the uh, a lot of the reasons you see cameras on you know factory shop floors and stuff nowadays is because we're using you know visual recognition and AI and stuff, not to watch the employees per se. Though some companies do that, but more to watch the assembly line and, and count things and and you know take take pictures of say a uh, a batch. Uh, area and determine if it's how full it is or how efficient it's running, right? All the sort of intelligence. And you do hear from people like, well, I don't want this thing watching me. Um, I've heard some people say, you know, like there can be union issues about that, you know, because there's clauses and terms around union contracts and deals where, you know, maybe they're not supposed to be monitored, for instance. Um, uh, you know, so it, it definitely causes some complexity. And I mean, I, I think ultimately, 
uh, I mean, you know, obviously it's an honor system thing. And, and I mean, you can create policies and share those policies with your employees, but you sort of have to, you sort of have to, uh, uh, walk the talk. And the moment that you pull somebody in office and say, Hey, we got a video here. You hear smoking a cigarette where you shouldn't have been, you know, now you've lost that trust. So, um, it's a, it's a careful, uh, you know, you have to kind of carefully walk that edge. In terms of office workers, I know you talk a little bit about um, helping zero adopters or late adopters understand more about the early adopters and the techie geeks, as you Mm -hmm. say. Are there any programs or classes or things that you recommend for people to use this time to sort of get more aligned with the tech side of things, particularly since they're being forced to rely on it more given our current conditions that we're all working in? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think there are, uh, you know, so one thing that a lot of my customers tend to struggle to understand sometimes is like what software even is like, what is software? What is programming? What are we talking about here? How do you do that? Um, and there's a lot of great classes that are free on edX or even uh, edX.com or even YouTube, you know, where I, I think if, right. if folks have some downtime, it wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, you can go and download um, a free copy of, of a lot of, you know, any development environment, Microsoft Visual Studio. Uh, if you've got a Mac, uh, Xcode is free and just do a very basic walkthrough course of, okay, I'm going to make a little program. And, and I think even just that little bit of understanding can help people under, you know, you know, sort of get it of, of what we're talking about when we talk about code and, and all these things. So that's one idea. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot of good books and, and other, uh, you know, materials out there to help you understand sort of, uh, you know, how to manage, uh, you know, software developers and stuff like that. So it kind of depends on what problem you want to tackle. Um, sure. But I think... You know, if it's, if it's something that's totally outside your field, it, it also can be something kind of energizing and new to take up. Like, you know, I'm going to go learn how to write an iPhone app. Like it's, and it's totally doable. It's not impossible. You just have to find the right walkthrough tutorial to take you through step by step. How do you deal with the people then that are petrified of making a mistake that is like, oh, if I press this button instead of that button or whatever, the whole company is going to come to a screeching halt and everything like that. When, and the reality of it is like, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, how I learned technology is like, I like to get it. I like to play with it. I like, you know, if I break it, I put it back together again. Or if I make a mistake, I just, you know, I, I go back and re- retrace my steps and start over again or whatever. And I learned the wrong way to do it. And, you know, it's like, but it's like, inevitably though, it's like these things are programmed well enough or whatever that, you know, they, you can't screw them up too badly. So how do you get that point across to some, some of these people that are, you know, petrified of, uh, of, of messing things up? No, yeah, it's funny. You're absolutely right. That's, we, we hear that, you know, um, that's one of the sort of common responses you hear in the industry of, you know, like you can, you could put a very, uh, simple user interface with some buttons and some instructions and say, do these three steps. And then people will call and say, uh, what should I do here? And you say, well, do the three steps. Well, I'm afraid to, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you said, what if I blow up the system? And I mean, you know, I think so partially, like you said, people should understand that it's, you know, most of just about anything you do in the system is not going to blow up anything, right? Um, as long as it's not an incredibly poorly written piece of software, 
Um, they're not going to put a button in there that just means that you delete the database. Launch nuclear codes. Big red button. Yeah, and I think people do have that idea that it's like, oh, because they they see in the movies, like like you said, launch the, the missiles, phone. right? Yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way because the thing is, is there's always a backup, you know, and and. Worst case, yeah. if you delete something you shouldn't have, it could be restored. But I mean, I think it's a little bit like, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think kind of getting people comfortable with it, um, providing them with the right training videos and such. So they see other people doing it and they're like, oh, yeah, you just click that button. And um, but I guess it's also a little bit like the wording, you know, like if, if you put a button in a piece of software that says permanently destroy this record. No one is going to click that until they call you and say, what do you mean permanently destroy, right? But if you say remove this record, that doesn't sound so bad, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so it's a little bit of wording. And, and, and sometimes I think, you know, techies and geeks are not, necessarily uh the best about that right no they're not they're not great some of them are, are really much more about function rather than form and they yeah. don't think about how things are worded or one of the things i hear repeatedly is like well that's a training issue you know the, the yeah. trainer should, should, should teach people how to use the software it's like no the software should be designed well enough where that it's intuitive so that the person should just be able to look at it and and have a pretty good idea how they should use this without a trainer yeah, and intuitiveness is a funny thing because you know comp- companies will say, "Hey, we want to here's this piece of software. We want it to do 500 things, but we want it to be intuitive." <laughs> and you can't have both, you know. Um, it, I mean, it's very, very hard to have both. And and I think that's something that we sort of excel at is is you know because we've built a lot of systems um, for sort of you know shop floor workers, nurses in hospitals, um, you know, folks that don't have time to, or, or, you know, uh, they don't have time to sit there and figure out the software because it's supporting what they do, but it, it is not what they do, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not a data entry person. They're trying to take care of a patient or they're trying to manufacture a widget. Um, you know, there's a certain sort of technique and, and approach to making things, uh, you know, more intuitive. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, and I think it's, it's a, like I said, I think it's a language thing too. I mean, because there's certain words and terms that developers think everybody knows, you know. So they might call you and say, hey, did you get an exception? And you're like, what? what? what, is that? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Because normal people don't say that, you know. What people actually, right. you should say, did you get an error, right? And people understand what the word error means, you know. <laughs> so, did you get a pop-up box thingy? Did, yeah. you get a- <laughs> did, did a big red X appear on your screen, you know. <laughs> So oh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Do you want to talk about your virtual tip jar? Sure. Absolutely. What is it? How do we access yeah. it? What do we do with it? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I give you, I'll give you the backstory first. So, okay. I mean, basically, you know, in Ohio, I live in Cincinnati in Ohio here and when, um, you know, Ohio was kind of, I guess, one of the earlier states to shut down. Yes, we were. Bars and, yeah, yeah, bars and restaurants and everything, right? Um, which were all very, I, I think, sounds like Mike DeWine is extremely popular right now in Ohio, I think, because of that. But uh, anyway, uh, our governor. Um, and so I was kind of, I don't know, it was it was kind of getting to me sitting here and watching all the statistics ramp up of infections and, and you know, uh, fatalities and all this sort of stuff. And I just kind of, I, I just kind of wanted to do something. And so um, I, I initially had the idea of, you know, some way that maybe you could try to support, uh, you know, these folks who were getting laid off. And, and I found um, someone in Pittsburgh had the idea to sort of roll out uh, uh, 
a, a system using Google spreadsheets to sort of do that. And the idea was basically allow people to enter their Venmo and their PayPal information as well as the restaurant or, or place they worked. And then people who know that restaurant or people who know them could find that information and, and send them a virtual tip. Um, so we kind of started there. And then now since then we have built it up to be its own, um, you know, app. Uh, it's, you know, it's its own web app and stuff and not just a, a Google spreadsheet. Um, and so we have, uh, you know, like we have 500 and I think 590 cities in there and five, maybe 5,600 people in our database. And basically, like I said, the idea is if you go to our app, which is just at uh, covidtipjars.com, um, you know, C-O-V-I-D tipjars, um, you can find your city, uh, find a restaurant uh, or, or even, it could, you know, we have hair salons in there, there you go. musicians, mm-hmm. all kinds of people. And, and what I've used it for personally, I mean, I kind of built this for myself initially. Right. Um, and, uh, what I've used it for is I'm like, Oh, there's that bartender. I see him. Cause you can see their picture when you look at their PayPal or their, oh, yeah, you may not yeah. know their name or but you know the face. Yeah. And so, so you look at him and say, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's Freddie. I recognize him. So, you know, I'll send him 10 bucks and say, hope you're doing okay. So on and so forth. And I think there's a lot of people using the system to, to use, to, to send those tips. Um, we can't see that since it's done in Venmo. Um, but you know, so it's been very popular and, and basically, you know, what's also been pretty crazy about it is, you know, we got the system out there, we got a couple thousand people in it. Um, and then, uh, we, we got written up in the local newspaper here, the Cincinnati Enquirer. Then I got interviewed by all, uh, all the, you know, local TV stations. And actually, I think it was the, the morning after, um, the Enquirer article hit, I got an email from Good Morning America and ABC oh, News, neat. right? Um, and they ended up just doing articles on their websites. So, you know, goodmorningamerica.com and abcnews.com. Um, we didn't, we didn't do a segment, um, but, uh, you know, so it got written up there and then, you know, food and wine magazine, self magazine. So there's a lot of different. Fantastic. And now manage smarter podcasts. Look at you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely so, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And so, so we've gotten some great exposure. Um, and it's interesting because it, it's, it's also an interesting marketing lesson to me. Uh, you know, you all are in sales and, and marketing and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm sure, obviously. And, um, it's like, well, if, if you have a company that, that what we do is either boring or, or mysterious or unknown to most of the public. So, you know, we write code. What does that mean? What kind of, what is code, right? Uh, how do you promote it? How do you, how do you raise, a, you know, awareness and exposure? Because if I had emailed ABC News and said, hey, will you write up an article on my software development company in Cincinnati? There's really not a whole lot there for them to chew on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would they talk, like, what's interesting about that to the broader public? Um, whereas, you know, trying to, you know, raise, you know, both help people and raise awareness of your brand at the same time by using your, your skills and talents and stuff. Uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, is a twofer, I guess. Um, and it's something that, uh, people are interested in. So it's kind of, it's really opened my eyes up to the potential for that sort of social good, uh, you know, brand awareness. Sure. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's great that you got all that coverage because that just means that it's going to perpetuate itself more and more. So I encourage everybody to, to donate. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the podcast before we wrap up? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so our podcast uh, is called Unstoppable Talk. Um, you can get to it at unstoppabletalk.com or just if you go to unstoppablesoftware.com, it's linked from there. Um, but basically, uh, you know, and, and you all know firsthand, of course, um, what, what I found is that uh, with all the interest in podcasting and just sort of the you know, tools and technology available, um, it, it was much easier for me to personally to produce uh, high quality content by talking and recording it mm-hmm. than it was for me to sit down and write a blog article. Um, you know, we've got probably a hundred plus articles on our blog um, and we've got maybe 30, around 30 podcast episodes. And, you know, our blog is like eight years old and our podcast is nine months old and they get the same amount of traffic, right? to our, to our website. So that's sort of telling, right? It's like, wow. Uh, and really the effort that it would have taken me to write another hundred blog articles is monumental compared to, <laughs> you know, doing a couple conversations, but it's really been, um, it's been a great learning experience because I've had to learn to be a good interviewer. Um, and kind of, I listened to, and I, you know, I kind of tried to copy from the best. I read a lot of, you know, advice about, you know, what types of questions to ask and, um, and it's, it's been really good and, and we've, you know, we've been getting some really cool guests, um, and, and just having some really good conversations. I try to make it very much like you're just sitting on, on a conversation between two people, right. um, you know, eavesdropping sort of. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been great. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to doing more. Yeah. Well, we're so, and that's why we keep our show to 20 minutes and we're at 20 minutes. So that's a wrap. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, we want people to be able to walk the dog and listen to this or, you know, do the dishes or be in the car, yeah. although not so much right now. Yeah. The original plan was <laughs> they could listen to it on your, on your way to work, but yeah. oh well. <laughs> so, but right. uh, unstoppablesoftware.com is your website. And uh, it's just been so great meeting you, Sam. And, uh, you know, best yeah. of luck to you with the virtual tip jar continuing on and the podcast and all that. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Hopefully we get back to baseball season that would be great in cincinnati (laughs) right yeah well great to meet you both and i appreciate you having me on on your show thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please rate and recommend on itunes overcast or wherever you get your podcasts you can also get more great information at salesfuel.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.